Norma Lorenzo. And this is the Pop Style Opinion Fest. Hello, kittens. Welcome back to another edition of the PSO. I am the T in your T-Lo, Tom Fitzgerald. And I'm here with the low in your T-Lo, Lorenzo, my cousin, my lovely husband. Hello. How you doing, Lorenzo? Wonderful. You're always doing wonderful. Yes, of course I am. Uh, especially now. I mean, it, it, it's nice. Uh, I do enjoy the holidays and Christmas. We talk about that. Yes, I know. And, uh, and I was being sarcastic when I said he's always doing wonderful because I've been with him for 25 years and I know that is not true at all. But I do love my man. Oh my God. Hello. You're mostly wonderful. I'm mostly wonderful. <laughs> so are you. Anyway. Mostly. Yeah. But anyway, it's all about, yeah, Christmas and Christmas, the holidays. Christmas, Christmas. And, yes. We had our... Um, our cookie exchange party over the weekend. It was a lot of fun. And it was, yeah, just in time because I don't think we could get anyone to socialize at a Christmas party now. It's a I little, know. It was it, nice. We had uh, family it's members. It's getting scary out there again. And friends, uh, they came and uh, they all brought cookies and we exchanged cookies and it was awesome because now we have a ton of cookies. Yes, we do. <laughs> and they're all different. And um, yeah, it, it's, I, I like, it was nice. It was nice to have people yeah. over. Also. And then we had this weird reaction afterwards when we realized, oh, it's you know christmas is still 10 days oh, away know, like we did our it, it big like, to do like, and like have a, a house full of cookies and you know it's still 10 days but before it's nice we actually to have, s- go ahead but it's nice to have people over and uh you know um some of them we we hadn't had in our place for like what two years now. yeah i know it was really nice to <laughs> yeah have it was over. nice um so we have a bit of a a mishmash of topics today we want to talk about a movie that we just finally caught that's still out in theaters but mm-hmm. it's been out for a couple of months so it's just a, a, a light sort of review of uh, last night in soho um because we loved it very much and that will segue into our we decided to do a, a year-end retrospective and yes. each come up with separately our top three TV shows and top three films of 2021. This, I should announce, this is our last podcast of 2021. We're taking the holidays Aww. off as we usually do. So this would be the perfect time for us to yes. do that. It's our year and closeout look at 2021, uh, the, the films and the TV shows and, um, you know, uh, just a, a look back at the year. It was a strange year. It started off on a, a, a badly. Uh, and then we all got optimistic, and then we all had b- a brief period of happiness, know, high happiness, and unbridled <laughs> optimism. Yes. And then, you know, I, I refuse to give in. Whatever, we'll talk about this. But right. I, I'm not going to give in to despair. I'm not. I'm not returning to the depths of 2020 because Omicron is raging. I am vaxxed and boosted and wearing my mask. And I hope more people do the same. Anyway, uh, so we're going to talk about our best of the year. And um, then after that, we're going to completely spoil the latest episode of uh, And Just Like That. We're diving deep on And Just Like That. And we thought we talked about it after last week's podcast and right. thought, you know, this show is wildly overwritten. There's way too many stu- uh, oh my God, uh, reviews yeah. being written already. And li- I'm not criticizing anyone for doing that. We're, we're, uh, we're all working in content production, and this show is very discussable. But um, I'm already turned off by the amount of recapping that's going on out there. Not not that there's anything wrong with any specific recapper. It's right. just certain shows, they become wildly over-discussed. And, we, and we're like, ugh. However, you and I have such a deep, we talked about it, such right. a deep and lasting understanding of these characters in this show, such a deep history with the show. And because it's not a written recap, you get to foist all your sex and city expertise on, on, you know, you don't have to rely on me to do the writing. You right, know, that's right, right, right. It's just uh, more of a Tilo thing. Yeah. Than, you know? And I think everyone is talking about it. It was the most watched premiere uh, on HBO Max this year, last oh, year. Oh, well, yeah, for something that. like that. Um, so I, we'll get I read to that. It's yeah. a very, and it, it, the latest episode is, uh, you know, um, 
Harry confronting Natasha, Big's former wife, and it really draws on 20 years of history with the show, and it so we're the perfect people to talk about. Natasha, what a bullshit name. What a bullshit name. I still say that every time I hear someone named Natasha. (laughs) Samantha's immortal line. Anyway, uh, so we're going to do that at the end of the podcast. Now, uh, let's talk about Last Night in Soho. Yes. Uh, The reason... Okay, so we got a screener for it a couple weeks ago, and screeners this year... I know this is no one, no one listening to this who doesn't work as a reviewer is going to feel any <laughs> pity like, yeah, for us. <laughs> but they're they're all like time limited this year. So you have 72 hours to watch it. When they drop it in your inbox and you have 72 hours, you're allowed to watch it. So I caught it. Uh, I, I've been wanting to see the film all year. It's uh, Last Night in Soho stars Anya Taylor-Joy and Thomasin McKenzie, who is an up-and-comer. She was in The Power of the Dog. She was in... Um, Jojo Rabbit a couple of years back. Right, right, right. Um, oh, I forgot about that. Yeah, yes. she was the girl in Jojo Rabbit. Oh my God, yes. Um, so, uh, and it's really stylish, and it's par- partially set in the Soho of the 1960s, a swinging London of the 1960s, and Anya Taylor-Joy was born, born to wear those clothes. Oh my God. That's, so, why, that's why her red carpet was all based on, you know, right, like right, right. those looks. So I really wanted to see it, but I didn't, turn to Lorenzo and go, oh, we should sit and watch it together. I didn't think you would... I wasn't sure you'd be interested because I also know it turns into a horror movie at the end. Right. And I was like, I don't know if that's really going to appeal to him. I don't like horror movies, but... So I watched it and was completely blown away by it. Then I watched it a second time and then I was like, Lorenzo, you got to watch this before this expires. Right. And you were screaming. And I don't mean screaming in horror, screaming (laughs) in joy in the first hour of that film. I worship that lady, first of all. Uh, And she looks amazing. I know Taylor Choi. You know, she looks yes. amazing. Yeah, amazing. And um, also Mackenzie. What's her name? Uh, Thomas and Mackenzie. She's actually, she was good. I she, thought was she was very, good. very good. She, I thought she was very good. But the appeal of this movie for me, aside from Anya being the number one, because she's just so damn she watchable. Is, my God. Her first line, the first look she gives is just... You're, Dancing you're and all You're practically applauding. Um uh, but it's the style of the movie, the style of the filmmaking that makes this one. It, if if the third act hadn't fallen apart, this would have been easily one of my top three picks I of the agree. year. I agree. I agree. If you could take the first, say, 70 minutes of the film right. and just call that a movie, that would be one of the best movies of the year. I totally agree. Um it is so damn stylish. And I do not mean stylish in the fashionable sense. That's only part of it. It's stylish in how the story is told. Edgar Wright, the director, who uh, has been around a long time. This is his, and he's done horror-tinged stuff before, but this is his first sort of foray into um, female-centered storyline. And it is very much a female-centered storyline. It gets into cliche about certain, you know, aspects of being a woman in the world. Um but, and I don't want to give too much of that away, um, but in the way it depicts, the storyline is that, and this is all in the trailer, so I'm not really spoiling, I will not spoil the movie. There is a twist, and I'm not even going to tell you about exactly I'm what happens. I'm glad I didn't know the about thir- the twist. I did not know about the twist, yeah, and I'm and I won't, we're, we're not even going to touch the twist, except to say I thought it was disappointing, and it dissolves the logic of the film in a lot mm-hmm. of ways. But um, I'm not going to get into that, because to me... That isn't even the point of discussing the film. The last 45 minutes or so of this film, it's not a disaster. It truly is not. You can sit through it, absolutely. And you're not like, oh my God, this is horrible. You're just like, oh, okay, well, that's where that went. Um, the story wraps itself up well. It dots every I and crosses every T. So in that in that sense, it's, it's a good script. 
and it's well done, but there is a turn towards straight up horror film after the first 70 and minutes. And cheesy, very cheesy and horror. And not a, it loses a lot of style. Yes, yes. Um, that's the part. I don't mind horror film. And I don't mean necessarily, it's more like a, an Italian giallo film, like the slasher, you know, um, uh, the, that, all the blood. And, that's actually good. Mm. Thank you. I know. <laughs> um, I, I did good film school, bitch. Uh, I, I understand my references. Um, so it has a lot of that to it. That sort of, it, um, you know, European horror of the 1960s where it's like girls splashed with blood or whatever. Um, imagery I'm talking about. I'm not giving away any sort of, um, uh, to a, you know, any sort of spoiler there. But so I don't, I'm not opposed to it being a horror. It sets itself up in the beginning as a horror film. I mean, because it, it has a supernatural quality to it. It has right, a ghost. Right. You feel that she's being haunted by spirits. Um, and that is what is, it sets that up before she even moves into this apartment. She sees her dead mother in the mirror all the time. And even her grandmother says, are you still seeing her? So Thomas and Mackenzie is set up as this character with, with vaguely supernatural abilities or, or she's a little crazy. But I mean, I, they yeah. do let you try and But decide. I thought it was going to go like that, more like a haunted house kind of, kind of like... Uh, I mean, it does, but it takes... We're it, not going to get into it. Yeah, it's right. Anyway. Can't, I can't. I just want to say um, the scene uh, that starts with the opening strings of Scylla Black's You're My World and oh ends God. with the closing note of Scylla... It's an extended scene, is quite honestly my favorite sequence in any film in I 2021. T- I mentioned on Twitter, it's one of the most cinematic uh, Jaw-dropping. Uh, it's, yeah. It's, it's just in the sense that of the way Edgar Wright u- just utilizes film and sound and costume and movement and light everything. and every tool yeah. at his fingertips to make all the hair on the back of your neck stand up it's by the end beautiful. of the scene. You're beautiful. just like, oh my God, look what he is doing. Right. When she descends that staircase, oh my god! You were already going, oh my god, oh my god! And then the shot of her descending the staircase, I'm like, look, 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 look! Because it's I had no idea it was going to happen, and I'm so glad I didn't know anything about it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, Because I was just mesmerized and then shocked, and that's all. Like when you hear it, she puts on a record, yes, and you hear the opening strings of "You're My World," and just. You're going to just know from that point for the next five minutes, you're just going to be taken for a cinematic ride. It's beautiful from right from the beginning when she covers herself. With, with her with, covers? Oh, oh, yes. Gorgeous. Gorgeous. <laughs> this is what I mean. Beautiful. Like, oh, my God, the beginnings of this film, the early scenes that are uh, flashbacks to the 1960s, because then she and... Anya Taylor-Joy and Matt Smith do a dance number on a dance floor that I have replayed. Like I have to watch it again. I haven't watched it again. Stunning dance number. I, I do want to watch the beginning like 500 times. Yeah. Well, it's. <laughs> I mean, th- here's the thing. It's still in theaters and we're not actually at a place right now where a lot of people want to be going to theaters. I don't know. That's your call to make. I'm not telling you not to. Um, and the only way you can watch it on home is to do one of those $20 at-home viewings. It's oh, not really? on streaming. You can't rent it for a normal fee yet. Um, so I hesitate to over recommend this film. I will be perfectly blunt. I would not pay $20 for this to watch it just once or twice, because as much as I love the beginning, the ending doesn't warrant that kind of money. I would, all I'm saying is when it's available to rent for like a normal fee. Yeah. Even if it's disappointing, even if the ending's disappointing, that first 70 minutes is some of the it's best, the best filmmaking yeah, of 2021. Of best, yeah. I agree. Totally Anya Taylor-Joy is just effervescent. She's actually better than the role deserves in the end. 
uh, Thomas oh, wow. and McKen. Oh, you're right. You know, absolutely it, right. Yes. where the, it goes, it's like, oh, she put all this work in, and hmm, <laughs> that's where it wound I know, up. Poor girl. Anyway, uh, Matt Smith has never been more attractive, and I don't think he's an attractive man. More mm-hmm. attractive and more menacing on film. He is scary as shit. Um, and Thomas and McKenzie, and then Dame Diana Rigg in her final, oh my god, her she final film insane. role. And that's the thing: the the film cast some of these icons of '60s London, like Diana Rigg and Terrence Stamp. They're in the movie, um, and they don't have small parts. Terrence Stamp and Diana Rigg both have significant parts in the movie. Um, it pays such loving homage yes. to that era, while at the same time, and this is what makes it interesting, it tries to unpack. It tries to tell you not to be too nostalgic about the past because the past could be really ugly. That I mean, that's point. Yeah, the that's point, point that yeah, the film right, is trying right. to make. And she, without giving anything away, Thomas and Mackenzie's final scene sort of gives, you know, the, yeah. I don't want to, I'm mouthing words here, which shows that she is not stuck in the past anymore. Uh, that's the point. I think that the film makes, and I think it does it effectively. It has something to say about the 60s that doesn't get said often enough. Um, in, in a sort of madman way, in a sort of, yeah, it looked fantastic, but there was a lot of rot underneath it. That's right, basically right, 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 what right. the film is trying to the, say. The uh, the lighting, the cinematography, everything is just beautiful. The costumes are yeah. great. <gasps> How uh, about her musical number with the... Oh, my God. Puppet yes. on the String, which is actually a real song. It was the 1967 oh, really? Eurovision entry uh, Whoever from Whoever choreographed that is... The, well, the choreography is very fossy. Oh my it's god! Very it's very cabaret, so beautiful, bossy with it's the gorgeous. chairs and everything. It's gorgeous. The way they shot uh, the whole scene, the close-ups and everything—it's just beautiful. That my song god. has been stuck. Well, that in your my world I'm has have been to watch it again. Stuck <laughs> in my head. I don't know. Oh, we don't. Have, I don't think well, we have the screener. Yeah, let me anymore. just explain that about a, a screener. Screeners in the past, long time, long, long time ago, you would get just DVDs. So you, they would show up. They would come in the mail. Yeah, they would come in the mail, and you get DVDs, and and then you know you could watch them. But then they decided that well, let's do more. Uh, the digital versions, which they send you an email with a link, and then you go, you follow the link, and then you watch the movie. Sometimes you can watch it for a month or, or more, but sometimes they just give you a link for seventy-two hours. Yes, which yeah. sucks because sometimes you, you, you know, you Nightmare don't... Alley. I it, it dropped in this yeah, week. I... We were uh, or late last week, and we were planning that party. And I was like, I'll get to that later. And I went to it three days later, and it had expired because you had opened it. So I had sometimes it. you can't open it. If you open it, then you only have like seventy-two hours. But or, they don't or tell you that until you open right. it. No, they they don't. <laughs> and sometimes. You can only watch it like five times, up to five times, remember? Right. Uh, and so we, we have to make sure, like, well, did you watch it? Because I've been watching it. I, and <laughs> like, that's the thing. I mean, that doesn't sound like a terrible problem. But if you're planning on recapping it, reviewing it, right. or writing about it, sometimes it helps to be able to watch it more than once. people to understand a little bit you right. know, how how, I, it, how screeners work. In right. General. And we don't expect a lot of stuff. No, no, no. Yet, so. Not at all. Anyway. But we do expect you to love Bombas as oh much as we God. do. It's yes. our year end. I'm wearing It's it our right final now. podcast of 2021 and Bombas has been with us through the whole thing. I've literally been wearing my Bombas socks every day yes. since, I mean, every time we record I'm wearing my holiday socks from last year. And they were gorgeous. Which you got me last yes. year. And I just want to say the, ho- and the holiday um, the gift boxes that Bombas socks come in. They're perfect. Are so great for storing ornaments. Yes, yes. <laughs> we stored a bunch of ornaments in because them because we year. only have ten of them. We have about four of those gift boxes. <laughs> anyway, Bombas's mission is simple: make the most comfortable clothes ever and match every item sold with an equal item donated. So this holiday, when you gift Bombas to someone on your list, you're also giving them to someone in need. It's a give give. <laughs> 
Bombas designed their sock shirts and underwear to be the clothes you can't wait to put on every day. Everything they make is soft, seamless, tagless, and has a luxuriously cozy feel. They're made from super soft materials like merino wool, pima cotton, and even cashmere, which makes them the perfect cozy winter layers. There's a pair of Bombas socks for everything you do. They come in performance styles for every sport, holiday styles for when you're feeling festive, and lots more. Bombas t-shirts are made with thoughtful design features like invisible seams, soft fabrics, and the perfect weight, so they hang just right. Bombas underwear has a barely there feel with second skin support that might make you forget they're even there in a good way. Bombas are the coziest gifts for everyone on your list, and thanks to their festive gift boxes, which we mentioned, you don't even wrap them. No, their, back, their boxes are really beautiful. Uh, sturdy, lovely graphic design on the front. Yeah, and you- I'm telling you, they're perfect for storing ornaments. All you have to do is the giving. Socks, underwear, and t-shirts are the three most requested clothing items at homeless shelters in that order. That's why Bombas donates one for every item you buy. Bombas are made to be the perfect gift and made to give back to those in need. So, happy giving. Go to bombas.com slash TLO and get 20% off your first purchase. That's B-O-M-B-A-S dot com slash T-L-O for 20% off. Bombas.com slash T-L-O. Thank you, Bombas, for all your support in 2021. I know. Amazing. Amazing. Thank you. All right. So, um, last night in Soho, loved it. Uh, Absolutely. It, yeah. Even the fact that the, I don't, I didn't, it didn't totally sour me on the film. I would still tell people to watch it and be like, mm, don't have high expectations for the way it ends. But man, the way it starts off is so good. It's not ho- horrible. No. The way it ends, but, but it does change your mood. Like, it does. It does. You're watching something and then all of a sudden it becomes something else. It becomes and, something else. And yeah. you just have to go with it. And I went with it and I don't like horror movies at all. Yeah. Um, but I was like, all right, I'll watch it. But I was like, oh, okay. It, it loses a lot of its stylishness. Right, right, right. When it yes, went, yes. And, the, and it just becomes a fairly basic horror It film. goes from a masterpiece, in my opinion, to yes, something a that... a potential it, masterpiece. Yeah. It could have been a masterpiece. Yeah, it's, the beginning is just absolutely stunning. Yeah. Now I have to watch it. All right, so I, the, I will mention now that um, we, we each picked our top three films yes. of the year and our top three TV shows of the year, and then we each picked... Um, our uh, three honorable mentions on under both categories. And we did that because one, we had to sort of coordinate our list. And what happens is that we wanted to make certain that certain things were on either one of our lists, but we didn't want our list to replicate each other. Right, right, right. Or we would just be mentioning the same film. So um, that's the thinking behind it. Some of Lorenzo's favorites are my favorites as well. Exactly, but we And exactly. some of, but we had to negotiate. We we're like, we all right, if we're going to okay. do a podcast, let's right. make sure we're not just mentioning right. the same stuff. But we, but but there, the list is <laughs> we're faithful here. <laughs> we're you know. Dorothy, oh, we yeah. negotiated this. Yeah, in fact, yeah. I just called him the c word for taking something away from me before the mics were flipped on. So we we <laughs> we. It's a month. Uh, Lorenzo's shaking his head. I'm sorry. Go um, ahead. So okay. We'll start with film or television. What do you want to do? Let's start with... Uh, we, we, we did Last Night in Soho, so why don't we segue into that? All right, fine. And we'll each mention our first mm-hmm. and then our second. You go. What's your first? For the Power of the Dog. No no doubt about it. Uh, it's it's an amazing movie. Let, I, first, I have to explain. My choices are usually movies and TV shows that I can't stop thinking about it. Like, I, I watch it and I, I get up the next day and, and I'm still thinking about right. it. Those are kind of the way I measure... <laughs> 
Uh, uh, and the power kind of, of the dog is Benedict Cumberbatch, Kirsten right. Dunst. What kind of impact a movie has or a TV show uh, on me? But so the power of the dog is the one with it's the one directed by uh, what's her name? Jane Campion. Uh, Jane Campion. Thank you. Which is she's an amazing director. Mm-hmm. She directed uh, the, the piano. piano. Um, and the power of the dog is just absolutely beautiful. The the cinematography is is, is gorgeous. Uh, the acting is superb. Everyone mm-hmm. is so great. The story, it's fascinating, heartbreaking, um, just just very interesting. Yeah. Um, again, I didn't know anything about the movie. Uh, you know, we, we watched the trailer, but I didn't know much about the story, so I was kind of surprised where it went. Um, but it's just beautiful and and haunting in a way, and it's just. Benedict Cumberbatch. Uh, I, I've watched him before, but this to me is like such an interesting role for him because uh, he's playing some somebody that I did not expect. He, you know, he could deliver. I didn't expect that he could be that kind of guy. Um, so he did a phenomenal job. Kirsten Dunst, of course, phenomenal. Anyway, love the movie. I'm reading the book now. And, oh, are you? Yes, I didn't know that. Yeah, uh, Netflix sent us the book. So the book, oh, that's right. The book is great too. Um, um, also reading, enjoying the book. Um, yeah, my number one choice. I've watched it like five times already. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just love it. Love yeah. it. Um, beautiful movie. I will say that it, that didn't make my potential top three, and it didn't make my honorable mentions. But mm. I did love this. I agree with everything you just said. I love the film, and I'm glad it's on one of our lists. Right. Um, because it. Do, it does deserve Everybody that recognition. Everybody deserves to be nominated. Not that being mentioned on this podcast is some sort of <laughs> yeah, prestigious award. But, okay, my number one, if you've been listening, you might already realize this because I've already declared it my number one of the year, is The Green Knight, uh, the Dev Patel um, film based on the uh, the chivalric poem Sir Gawain in The Green Knight. Uh, Arthurian legend recast in a 21st century manner. It's It was very diverse and it's or colorblind in its casting in a lot of... No, it wasn't colorblind, actually. It was... But it was diverse in its casting. Um, putting Deb Patel in the center of a story uh, and his and having Sarita Chowdhury play, right. basically, Morgan Le Fay uh, of our Arthurian legend. But that isn't the only... I mean, that is not even a top reason why I'm recommending it. It's, it's a mark in its favor, and it gives the film an originality to it just by not being all white European-looking people. But... That's not the reason. The reason is it's so damn stylish. It is so gorgeous to look at. Um, this, not just the costume design, which is truly some of the best costume, fantasy costume design of the year, but um, uh, the cinematography, the way it uses the natural world around it and everything, it gives you a sense of Camelot, which is ostensibly England, um, but not necessarily England, but it gives it this idea of Camelot as being a truly mystical land in a way that I have to say, I just finished the uh, Lord of the Rings trilogy, my annual viewing of it. And listen, I will never badmouth those films. But um, uh, Peter Jackson's approach was to um, uh, situate it in the natural Earth world so that he could make the point that Middle Earth is, you know, if it's not Earth itself, it's an allegory for Earth mm-hmm. or it's an extension of Earth. These these people live in a real world, in a physical world. Um, he was very famously did not like to overly depict magic, you know, in too flashy a way, even though Lord of the Rings is filled with magic. The approach for... Um, the Green Knight is the opposite, where the world just looks like so fantasy. Just walking through a forest, it doesn't even look... It looks enchanted. Right, right. It just looks enchanted. Um, it, this, 
I, ne- I never want to give away the big scene. You know which one I'm talking about. Right, where, right, right. And I won't. But there was a point at which you're like, oh, okay, this whole movie is just a 14th century poem in right. in cinema, as close as they in could get to form, it yeah. in film form, in cinematic form, which means really strange things happen that never get explained. Um, he just goes through these series of vignettes, which usually teaches him some sort of Christian moral lesson at the end of it. So it's just different. It's just different in 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 from so many other films, uh, <laughs> but uh, so many other films that have retried that same ground, that same sort of sword. And and it, it's definitely not Game of Thrones. It's definitely not Peter Jackson. It's its own thing, and yet it feels ancient and rich in a way I rarely ever see film able to depict. It, it is just, a beautiful it, you movie. You feel like yeah. you're just getting an old mm-hmm. old story being retold for you. Um, so that's my number one. What's your number two? Number two is The Lost Daughter, directed by uh, Maggie. Uh, Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. And um, starring Olivia Coleman doing a phenomenal job. Uh, also, Jesse Buckley does a fantastic job. And Dakota Johnson being Dakota Johnson, um, which is, she's okay. Uh, but it's a phenomenal movie. It's The, the reason why I picked this movie is because I can stop thinking about it because it's it's a wonderful story about this woman. Um, she goes on vacation and uh, she's faced with her past when she sees a, a mother and a daughter. Uh, and it's a beautiful way. It's a very interesting way of of, of um, looking at motherhood in, in sort of a different light, in a different way, uh, in a way that you don't see much in in, in film form. Um, just beautiful. Uh, just just very interesting and. Beautiful location. Uh, she's on vacation, and she she's faced with with her past when she she when she's in a situation, you know, during her vacation. Um, I don't want to give anything away, but it's it's a beautiful movie. Olivia Coleman is absolutely fantastic. Um, when is she not? I know. When is she not? But it's it. I can't stop thinking about it. It's it's a absolutely gorgeous movie and a fantastic uh, movie. You know, it's. Um, Maggie Gyllenhaal, that, that's her first movie, the first movie she directed, and she did a phenomenal job. So, yeah, great movie. My number two is one that I, I actually feel I'm going to have to defend a little bit, which is uh, Being the Ricardos, uh, wow. starring Nicole Kidman and um, Javier yeah. Bardem as, as Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz, directed by Aaron Sorkin. This film has generally positive reviews, but it has also had some mixed reviews. And uh, the mixed reviews, or even the full-on negative reviews that I have read, appear to largely be um, taking Sorkin to task for his Sorkinisms. And that's fine. You can absolutely critique this film on that. But to me, that was one of the strengths of the film. Um, I don't love Aaron Sorkin's directorial or writing style. We talked about this. We have re- we reviewed the film a couple weeks back on this podcast. Right. So I'm not going to get too far into it. But to me, um, there are two things, two reasons why this film really stuck with me. Number one was um, how interesting Nicole Kidman's performance was as Lucille Ball. I really appreciated and respected it. It's not perfect mimicry, but I did really respect There's what, the strong what she did yeah, with it there yeah um and and how i felt that that was her really really stretching herself as an actress to get to a point where she was a believable lucille right Paul. that's a very good point yeah, yeah i mean that i could not have i knew nicole was a good actress i never questioned that but i really was not sure she had what it took but she does the second thing is the sorkin for me the sorkinisms are uh part of the strength of the film and i said this at the time um 
Aaron Sorkin has this very great man version of his stories where uh, it's always anchored by some great man that or some genius that everybody is surrounding him and telling and he's problematic and everything and it's all the drama that arises when you're dealing with a genius doing genius work mm-hmm. and it can be very stale and annoying and and I I recognize and it can be very cliched it's people walking down hallways and talking really fast and that sort of thing um but I never saw him apply that exact style to a woman before where and he treated Lucille he treats Lucille Ball like an absolutely once in a century um just genius, genius just savant yeah. uh-huh. when it comes the way she is depicted she really does come off as some sort of savant when it comes to comedy um and he he brings all the sorkinisms to that. She's she's difficult sometimes to deal with. The people around her are constantly stressed out. She changes her mind, and then they all have to scramble. You know that sort of. It's all very Sorkin. But I really liked seeing all that sort of great man style of filmmaking being applied to an iconic woman that way. It was an interesting take on Lucille Ball. It wasn't something I could have predicted, and it didn't feel... I know a lot of people dismiss it as typical biopic, and I guess so, if you compare it to, like, the Mark Zuckerberg film or the Steve Jobs film, but that's the point, in my view, is that you never see films like that made about difficult, genius women. And Lucille Ball is a great person to hang that particular trope on, instead of someone like, you know, the Elizabeth Holmes from Theranos, like they're making those Theranos movies and, you know, whatever. There are genius women in technology, but to take a genius in the arts and say, and do a movie about her that way, it made it my number two. Perfect. Your number three? Number three. My number three is a, an Italian movie called The Hand of the God, which is available on Netflix right now. Uh, again, it goes back to what I said, movies that I can't stop thinking about it. This one is directed by Paolo Sorrentino, and it's pretty much his story growing up in Naples. Uh, so it's a story about a, a boy, you know, a coming-of-age story, journey, and his family living there in Naples, and, and, and everything about his family, what he go through. Um, a lot of stuff happens. I don't want to give anything away. Tragic stuff also, stuff also happened. And... Um, and it's just a beautiful movie. The location is absolutely gorgeous. His story is beautiful. Um, and I appreciate that the movie, every now and then, it's very politically incorrect. <laughs> but that's the way, you know, international movies are in a way. They they tend to go there to tell a story. Um, so it's fascinating how the director deals with certain situations that, you know, you find kind of awkward, awkward or you know, they, they do happen in your life as growing up as a boy, but at the same time, you're like, wow, I can't believe he's showing that in the way he's showing it. Uh, but it's a beautiful movie, absolutely gorgeous movie, um, and I highly recommend it. It's, it's on Netflix if you if you can deal with subtitles. <laughs> and you and, obnoxious thing. And, and foreign movies. Yes. Uh, uh, that was your number three? Yes, it's a beautiful movie. Uh, my number three is Belfast. Again, we really, uh, re- you know, we talked about this film a couple, like about a month ago, actually. Uh, it stuck with me. I said all the reasons why in a previous podcast, but um, I, I, it's a film that sticks with you. If you've lost people in your life, you will understand the um, the film sentimentality and the rather rosy glow it has of the past. Right. I think that's a very self-conscious thing on, on director Kenneth Branagh's part. He's smart enough to know what he's doing. He knew he was doing a very sentimental film. Uh, not that it's like some sort of Disney drama. It's not. I mean, there's some big questions of politics and family and religion that are unpacked in this film. 
But it's all done from the perspective of a nine-year-old's, from a nine-year-old's perspective, seeing that world through a nine-year-old's eyes. And I, uh, again, that's not even an original idea in film. There were plenty of films that have done this before. But um, the way he elevates his parents and his grandparents to just iconic status in this film, to just his parents are movie stars and his grandparents are just like little carvings of old people that you put on the shelf. Like they're just so loving and perfect and full of wisdom. That it it really just overwhelms you at times. The the sincerity of the film uh, truly overwhelms you. Um, I, I totally agree. So yeah, it's, it's just, absolutely it's gorgeous. one of my favorite films of the yeah. year. I just want to make one correction. It's the hand of God, not the hand of the God. It's the hand. I of thought God. you said that wrong. I yeah, wasn't sure. No, it's the hand of God. Um, um, in on Netflix. Okay, so we're gonna do. We're gonna name our three honorable mentions here, but you get to say one sentence about each of them. You're not going to. We're not going to like all right. ramble. So, are you ready? Uh, yes. Uh, do all three of them. Yes. Okay. Well, my first choice, passing, absolutely. I mean, it performance is absolutely amazing, and I like the fact that they're telling a story that most people don't know about. I mean, you hear about it, but you don't know that that the whole passing. That's a run-on sentence, sir. All right. <laughs> The, the beautiful historical aspect of uh, passing. It's nice to see that uh, in, in film form. Okay, Again. keep going. Uh, the French Dispatch. I mean, come on. Everything he does. Uh, Who? Wes, Wes Anderson. Wes Anderson does. It's absolutely amazing. And I just... Nothing. Nobody can do cinematography and, and beauty in terms art of... Art direction. Art direction and visuals the way he does. Nobody does. Three. Um, Red Rocket. I watch it and you're going to go like, wow, really? Yes. Simon Rex is absolutely phenomenal as a washed up porn star uh, um, moving back to his small town in Texas. That's all I need to say. His performance is absolutely amazing. And I, I, I love when, when directors and movies go there to, you know, some story that we, we never tell. Anyway. Um, all right, my top, my honorable mentions also passing largely for the same reasons, but it very, as you, very, very thoughtful direction from Rebecca Hall, who brought yes. real nuance yeah. to a story about being a light-skinned woman of color uh, and pulled from her own family experiences to I make it. it. No, it's not. It's not. <laughs> I can write net it, bitch. Spencer, um, uh, um, Kristen Stewart as Di- as Princess Diana in a story that is not biopic at all. It is more horror film. Um, it's more psychological drama. And um, she really nails uh, the I essence agree. of that mm-hmm. woman without mimicking her. And then my final, which I won't even go into, is One Night in Soho for reasons that I've already outlined. Yes. But that had to make my... It, the, that, the first 70 minutes of that film is so beautiful that it's got to be on some sort of list, even if um, the rest of it doesn't hold together. All right, I'm going to... Now moving on to the world of television. Yes. I'm going to start. Go ahead. And then we'll go back and forth. So my number one, and these are not... It's number one on my list. I, I wouldn't call it the number one show, but it, it's in my top three. Uh, WandaVision. Uh, f- people forget that that was this year, but it, it came out in January of, of 2021. Oh, wow. And uh, it was a sea change for the Marvel brand. I wish it could have signaled something more for the brand, but actually it nothing that it... None of the Disney Plus shows that have come along since then have have been quite as um, creative as as WandaVision was. Uh, it also boasted two of the best performances anybody has ever given in a Marvel project by uh, Elizabeth Olsen and Paul Bettany. Um, just fantastic performances from both of them. 
Um, on top of which, it gave us one of the biggest memeable moments, viral moments of 2021, <laughs> yeah. which was Agatha all along and Catherine Hahn's spectacular, spectacular performance. Absolutely amazing. As Agatha Harkness. Yes. Um, just everything about it, it was creative. It was, it did dead perfect homages to uh, sitcoms of the various uh, decades. Um, dead perfect theme song homages. Some of those theme songs were stuck in my head for weeks. Um the art direction was fabulous as the house kept changing and the costumes kept changing. They really kept paying. It was just one of the more most unusual shows of the year. And it pulled off all of that weirdness and all of the special effects while at the same time, um, I mean, yeah, it turns into a Marvel movie in the last episode, but I, if the beginning, the, uh, every other episode of the show was an unusually nuanced portrayal of grief mm-hmm. and um, how it can, send you into a delusional state of mind. Right. So it really stuck with me for the rest of the year. And I, I wish the rest of Marvel, you know, Disney plus stuff ha- had been this good. I have nothing against some of those other shows, including the currently airing Hawkeye, but none of them come as close. No, no, I think it was a surprise for everybody. Mm-hmm. Um, every, I mean, I loved it and I'm not even into comic books. Uh, my first choice, of course, of course, is the white Lotus. Yes. Yes. Um, I have to say, uh, again, it, I would, not expecting to be what what it is. Um, I love the fact that it it's about white people and white privilege, but and and it kind of fool you a little, thinking that maybe these characters will change, maybe these people will change, but they don't. They don't right. change. And I read a lot about on Twitter people disappointed that these people hadn't learned anything, but it's just not real. These people are going to be the same. They leave the the location, they leave the hotel, the resort place, and they're going to be just the same assholes that they were before. Uh, but it makes you think, make makes you uh, analyze and experience in a way their world. Uh, and I I just love it. I love it because I work in the in the hotel industry for a while, so I I I just I know exactly how it is and how guests can be. And uh, how employees can be, you know, behind the scenes and all that. So I, I really appreciate it. I thought it was a great show, um, risky at you know sometimes, and and went places that you were like you couldn't believe it. So it was great. It was a great show, and I loved it. Loved everybody. Uh, you know, Jennifer Coolidge, of course, and everyone, uh, and and Murray Bartley. My God. I mean, yeah, I just, mean, I would have loved to have put that one on my list as well. I mean, I it ranks high. The White Lotus is one of my favorite moments, but my number two uh, television moments of the year. My number two is For All Mankind on Apple TV Plus. Yes. Because that season two finale was one of the best hours of television I have literally seen in years. Um, it takes you have to go and watch the whole thing to get to that point. I honestly don't feel that the show was a slog to get to that point. Um, but it's a commitment because there are a lot of storylines that run through a season and character, you know, things change for certain characters and you have to just follow them along. And boy, you get, and I don't want to make it sound like the only reason to watch the show was for that season two finale. It's the best reason to watch the show, but it is a really great examination of an alternate version of the 1960s and 1970s. Um, And actually it gets into the 1980s and in the second season. Um, uh, We've talked about it before, but real quick, uh, the premise of the show is that uh, Russia beats uh, the U S to the moon in 1969. And that alters the entire course of the, of the space race In, in, in effect, it never actually slows down. It only ramps things up. And it envisions a world in which the space race continued uh, by Russia and America just at a super fast pace all the way through the 80s. So, 
you know, it gets into uh, scientific developments that never happened. There is a base on the moon. Uh, there are several bases. There's a Russian one and there's an American one by the time you get to the 1980s. Um, but it also is, you know, taking you through the lives of the people who are working for NASA. It's very much the right stuff, except right. it's an alternate v- v- version of the world. And the, one of the shows, the number one actual reason to watch the show is in the third or fourth episode, I'm just going to give this away, um, the Russians send a woman to the moon, which causes NASA, NASA to develop something they never did, a very aggressive female astronaut program. Right, 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 right. So starting from like the early 1970s, NASA is pretty much half women. Uh, and then as the story progresses through the 80s, it ends in the Reagan years at the end of season two, and then there's a big time jump. Um, but it's uh, it's a version of NASA where half the directors are women, where you know uh, some of them have been on the moon before, some of them have been on the moon several times. So that's what makes the show so interesting. On top of everything else, uh, the it's Mad Men level writing in terms of the relationships right, and that right. sort of thing. So I will stop there. But it is great, and it is a phenomenal show. Um, that season two finale, you'll cheer and you will weep. And you will hate that it ended. It's really that good. Okay. Well, they are coming back with the... Yes, he's or, coming yeah, back. Yeah. Yes. So my second choice is, of course, Hacks. I mean, it was so... Also wanted to put that on my list. Yeah, so unexpected. Um, um, Gene Smart. Oh, my God. Brilliant, brilliant performance. Mm-hmm. Um, I also enjoyed a lot Hannah Einbinder. Love her. Yes. Her character, you hate her character, but you love her performance. Mm. Um, it was. I thought it was just great. Uh, again, it goes, I like when people have an idea that, you know, it does seem like it, it's been done many times, but they, they, you know, they give it a different spin. And I think this, this is it. I, I just love the idea of having these two women uh, doing the same thing, comedy, uh, from different generations, going through the same thing they, they, they go as mm-hmm. a woman um, and just fascinating to see their perspective and, and to see that somehow they get, they connect and disconnect and connect again. Um, just brilliant, brilliant performance. Um, they really have an incredible chemistry. Uh, I highly recommend it. I think it's a great show. Uh, agreed. My uh, number three is Mare of Easttown. Of course. Which we had to argue over. Um and I actually, I, I kind of toyed with the idea of making it one of my honorable mentions, because if I'm being completely honest about it, the actual plot of the of the series is a bit of a cliche. I mean, as I said at the time, oh, dead girl in a creek, like it's it starts off that way. And <laughs> everyone, you know, wears depressing colors and, and that sort of it's, you know, another town with secrets. But in this case, it's, um, it's a town that's... Uh, a suburb of Philadelphia. It's in Delaware County, and that's my world. Those are my people. Um, so for me, there was a lot of fun watching the Philadelphianisms, the Delaware Countyisms that pop up in in the and they do. They get a lot of it really, really close. And it was a ask any Philadelphian or anyone from Delaware County. It was a joy watching Kate Winslet try and wrap her mouth around that accent, and she almost nailed it. But those aren't all. The, it, the reason to watch it is that the performances are amazing. Uh, Kate Winslet. Fantastic performance. Gene Smart, a fantastic performance. Julianne Nicholson, fantastic. Those three women are just the heart and soul of the film, of the series, and they elevate it past a simple small-town murder story with a twist. Um, didn't love the twist at all, in fact, but the acting is so well done, uh, and the entire ensemble cast is so good. That, uh, you know, it, it just... 
it's hard for me not to see it as one of the best shows of the year. No, yeah, and everyone was talking about it. It it, it was interesting to see something here in Philadelphia. Right. It was just great. Yeah. It was a great show. Um, you don't see that much on TV. Uh, my third choice is something fun, more, you know, different. It's Squid Game. Um, Squid Game, I think, uh, I can't, I, for a long time, I couldn't stop thinking about it. I thought it was a great show. Um, the fact that it's an international show from South Korea, um, I love the way the show integrated all the children's games, and, and it, it's so political and social at the same time. Um, I actually had to Google a lot of the stuff because I didn't know them, all the um, social references and, and political references. Um, that you know, you can watch the show and forget all that, and it's still a great show, mm-hmm. uh, entertaining. But if you want to go a little deeper and 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 find out more about the inspirations, the games that they play, and all that, it it, it tells so much more about these people and their lives in South Korea. I thought it was absolutely fantastic. I love the idea that you have, you know, such a huge success. Um, for an international show for, you know, most people don't know. I mean, it made me go and look for more Korean shows and uh, to watch. Right. So I, that alone, I think, is phenomenal. Agreed. All right, I'm going to give my one-sentence um, yes. um, reviews of my honorable mention television shows. First one, Ted Lasso. A surprise, maybe, because I've been critical of the show in the past, or at least not as into the hype surrounding it. But... Um, Getting past all that hype, it is some of the most nuanced comedic writing of adult relationships I've ever seen on television. The Dr. Sharon and Ted relationship is just an amazing thing to watch unfold because you just don't see grown-ups acting that way on ostensibly you know, funny shows. Um, fantastic performances. You can't not love the cast. Uh, it deserves a lot of its uh, praise and a lot of the rewards, even if it is overhyped. Um, number two, Yellow Jackets, um, which is FX on Hulu, I believe, yeah, and the so. um, the show about the it's not getting enough love right now, and I'm actually uh, behind on one or two episodes, but uh, it was renewed for a second season. Um, oh, awesome! Yes, uh, it has uh, you know Juliette Lewis and Christina Ricci and Melanie Linsky in it, and they're all giving amazing they're performances. Just yeah. a phenomenal Juliette Lewis, my God, and Melanie Linsky is so great in this what could be a thankless role, but she's actually giving it such nuance and doing it in such an interesting She's really, way. really, really great. Okay, this yeah. is longer than a sentence. That's but right. Yellow Jackets, um, it's creepy, it's weird, it's violent, and it's female-centered about a bunch of uh, cheerleaders whose plane crashes in the 1990s. And then... It's such a strange story. And then looks yeah. at the survivors 25 years later as middle-aged women uh, and their secrets and all kinds of things. Okay, Station Eleven, which just dropped on HBO Max this week. Uh, the first three episodes dropped. It's based on a book. Uh, it might sound like the wrong kind of show. I'm going to need a, more than a sentence because no one's seen this one yet. Uh, it's it's a story that uh, where 99% of the world's population dies of a flu very, very rapidly. So, you know, a lot of reasons why you might not want to watch that. <laughs> However, the show wisely, and I think it was made before COVID, avoids every cliche. There's not, there's very little like emergency rooms filling up and people looting departments, you know, uh, grocery stores. It avoids all of that. And it focuses on individual people in the story. And it isn't ab- actually about the apocalypse. It is the about what happens 20 years later. Uh, and it shows you a world of um, traveling theatrical reviews and people living in... And it's very hippy-dippy. It's not, it's not The Walking Dead. 
it's a world where art is elevated and civilization is exalted. And yes, there are secrets and everything and people are traumatized, but it's a very gentle sort of look and hopeful, actually, where you're like, well, if 99% of the world dies, there's and but we get traveling Shakespearean troops with, you know, pan gender, you know, you know, acting troops in it and whatever. Maybe that'll be good. It, it t- tends to make the apocalypse look kind of light and fluffy, but it's a very thoughtful show, and it reminds me a lot of The Leftovers. Um, yes, yeah. All right, your your um, honorables. Uh, for All Mankind, of course. I have to talk about this show. I haven't finished yet. I haven't watched the whole thing yet, but I love the show. I love the concept. I like. I love the Mad Men style. Uh, you know, of everything. The cinematography, the direction, everything. It's just beautiful, beautiful to look at. I love the idea of sort of rewriting history and seeing history in a different way. That's what pretty much what they do. What if, there's a lot of what if, and, you know, throughout the whole season, and I love that. And I also love the fact that they're highlighting female astronauts because I didn't know about them. I actually went online and start reading about them. And then I thought it was phenomenal. Uh, something that I didn't know about. And it's great to see you cheer for them. And it, it, it's a great storyline. Um, second on, It's a Sin, uh, the BBC, I think it's the BBC uh, uh, show about the AIDS crisis. And what I love... And the gay, and the LGBTQ community. Yes. And what I love about it is that I never had watched a show about the AIDS crisis uh, based you know, in London or in England. I mean, through their point of view and through their eyes, uh, I had never watched. It's always an American point of view or an American, you know, approach to it, um, how we saw it here. Uh, But it was interesting to see how, you know, the British queer community reacted uh, to the whole crisis. So it it was fascinating uh, to watch. So that's my second choice. Third choice, of course, is Schmigadoon. Come on. It it was just, first of all, I, I... don't like musicals at all. I I watch I w- I will watch musicals from the 40s and 50s because I don't know, I think they're camp and I like them. But I would never go to Broadway and watch a musical. Sorry. No. Uh not my thing. So what I love about the show is that the show is paying homage to the uh musical world, but at the same time it's kind of making fun of it. Uh so I love that. I love the fact that they they're just so funny and 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 creative in the way they, they, they sing and, you know, the thingy about, I've always, I always joke about, I don't know how you can sing about anything. And I think they kind of, you know, make fun of that. Uh, and it's just great performance. Everyone did a phenomenal job. I love the fact that they brought real singers and dancers from Broadway. So you have this, these amazing numbers in the middle of, you know, a scene. So I thought it was phenomenal. Good. That would wrap up our um, television discussion yes. and our film discussion. Would love to hear what you guys think of as the your top threes in each. Um, all right, let's move on to uh, this week's episode of And yes. Just Like That for those who are following along. And let me just tell you, boy, people love to tell you that they're not watching this show. It's like, <laughs> good, you know what? Go live your life. It's fine. We're going to sit over here and talk about watching it. Um, because as we've said before, we have a long history with these characters and I, 
maybe you just no you said you love this episode i don't think this series is bad like people are like ah disaster and i'm like I, i'm not seeing this I it's think, actually getting fairly good reviews i think the show is good in bed at the same time and i'll explain uh why it's uh, very sex in the city that way and look i get it if you don't want to watch these type of women i get it i absolutely understand why you wouldn't want to but the show for me is doing a fairly good job of navigating um what uh what lessons these women kind of need to learn at right, this right. point in their lives and Okay, so let's get into this episode. In this episode, uh, Biggs' will is read, and they find out that he left a million dollars to Natasha, who was the woman that he married before he married Carrie. And then Carrie and he had an affair while he was married to Natasha. And then Natasha caught Carrie in her apartment and chased after her and fell down the steps and broke so her Natasha tooth. So Natasha has all the reasons in the world to hate Carrie. To hate Carrie. <laughs> and it was a big thing back in the day. It was Carrie's worst story like it was the worst thing Carrie ever did honestly right because she was cheating on Aiden at the time who she was engaged to and her life fell apart before it for it and everything and I understand if you're watching this show and you're like oh my god they're bringing it's just the old storylines they're bringing them back but I actually think they're doing a fairly good job of pointing out how you you reach your middle age and uh it's as we talked about, the thing that happened with Carrie and Natasha was a huge freaking deal in both of their lives. It was right, not some right. thing that they could have gotten over with quickly. So, okay, it's 15 years later, and Carrie spirals into this insecure thing all over again. And Natasha is extremely cold to her and shutting her out. And you might look at this and go, God, these women haven't changed at all. But I don't know, like, I wouldn't have expected them to change. I wouldn't have expected Natasha to stop being mad at Carrie, and I wouldn't expect Carrie, as annoying as Carrie was this episode, and she was, and some of her friends needed to rein... Like, I'll give Charlotte some... Charlotte did try and rein her in, but Miranda didn't say a thing to her, where it was like, you're acting crazy. Um, But I understand why Carrie would get that way. In fact, there's a great line where she acknowledges that she hasn't been this way in 15 years, that the fact that Big had one final secret that he kept from her caused her to just fall back into... So, I mean, as someone in their age group, I'm like, yeah, okay, maybe they're rehashing old storylines, but I had no problem seeing Natasha again if I'm a fan of the show. And I thought they did a great job of looking at that same story from the perspective of being in your 50s. I think it's... It made sense. If he I left her money, then then it's a new story here mm-hmm. uh, that is, you know, tied up to something, you know, they went through in the past. But but it is a new story. To me, it was a new story. Right. Uh, and it, I thought it was very interesting. And we I talked about it with, with you that how Natasha reacted, I thought it was absolutely perfect. Because right. I I mentioned to you that I had a, some, I had a, a very good friend, one of my best friends. We had this huge, horrible fallout. And uh, we never talked to each other anymore, and we never, you know, I completely forgot about him in a way. And um, then he found me and sent me an email, I guess because of the Tom Lorenzo site or whatever, um, and um, wrote this, you know, long email about how he's so sorry that it was completely his fault, that he feels horrible, that he, you know, mature and learn, blah, blah, blah. And I was like, all right, delete. And I deleted the email and I didn't reply because, you know, I'm glad you got there. I'm glad you moved on and right. you became a better person for whatever reason. Um, but I'm, you know, I'm, I moved on. You, you're not in my life anymore. So I've, I, to make a long story short, I think that's what Natasha is pretty much saying to Carrie. It's like, all right, 
you know, I don't need to deal with you anymore. And, right. uh, and, and it was very clear. She said that, you know, I don't need you in my life anymore. And it makes sense. And, and Carrie should respect that. I know she's, you know, has all these questions on why the husband left all that money for her, blah, blah, blah. But she explained and she said, you know, I haven't seen your husband in, you know, since the, uh, the divorce. So, you know, end of story. Right. Move on. You have to move on. Right. Uh, but I thought it was a beautiful episode, a beautiful storyline. And, and called on the show's history. Yes, if yes, you were a yes. fan of it back in the day, you watched that story unfold. Uh, and Carrie really was horrible back in those days. And I can understand Sometimes your worst actions come back to haunt you. Right. And that's what I thought was happening in this episode. Not Carrie rehashing her 30s and her insecurities about her husband so much as her guilt resurfaced. And I thought that was pretty evident in their final, in their scene together. Yeah, but... Where it was very much ca- right. Carrie carrying around a shit ton of guilt. And But I, I love that the show didn't came in in, in in the sense that, you know, Natasha's going to be all sweet and they're going to be friends. And I forgive hope her. Not. Why would she forgive yes, her? Yes, I hope not. Uh, that I thought they handled it very, very well. Like that, grown you know, up women. Yes, you know, Carrie, get your shit together. I don't want to, I never want to see you again. Goodbye. Okay, now let's talk about the general. Um, oh, uh, one more thing about Bridget Moynihan's. Uh, I thought she was great in it. I thought she got right back in character as she Natasha yeah, again. Like, there was. It's fun because it's like I, we've seen. You've seen Bridget Moynihan and other stuff. She has that cop show for years. Um, but it's fun to see these characters slip back into these roles. And like we've seen Sarah Jessica yeah. Parker in other roles over the years, but I, it's spe- specifically in this episode where she was in the back of the SUV with the girls and having a complete meltdown. I was like, all right, this is her. This is Carrie. This right, is not right, just right. SJP. Um, all right. So I let's unpack some things. I think I'd hate the way they're handling Carrie's grief. Um. Uh, yeah, but it, it they did the same bad job when she uh, broke up with 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 Big. Remember, they they went to Mexico and all that stuff. And actually, I disagree with you on that no, because I, wait, let me finish. That's the prime example of how they should be handling this. In the first movie, when when Big left her at the altar, she was depressed for a full year. She they had to drag her to Mexico. She stayed in bed for three days. She didn't talk to people and every like she wallowed in it back then. And I would think her actual grief. She's very quippy. And yeah, I mean, the show is dealing with it. She's walking around. She can't sleep. She's right, rifling right, right. through big stuff and everything like that. But she's still getting one-liners out. She's still going out to lunch with the girl. And I'm like, I don't know. This doesn't. She doesn't feel like a person grieving to me. She feels like she's uh, obsessing over another breakup. Hmm. Interesting. I would find. I would think her no, grief that, would that, be a lot more point. monumental yeah, than yeah. that. I think she's getting over it far too quickly. But they they would need season two for that if they keep going. Like I that. guess. I, but why don't they do a time jump? Right. Why don't they say yes, it's six months yeah. later and, and, you know, we didn't have to watch Carrie being a horrible mess. for? I get it. I get why you wouldn't want the show to become about her grief. But she's still great. I mean, she's the reading of the will would be, what, at most three weeks after his death? Like, you could have skipped all that. Yeah. I do. Um, so I don't I don't love that. No. I, one thing I loved and I was laughing out loud is Anthony's character. He's still an asshole. <laughs> I actually really Anthony, like no. the way they're handling both of those. Guys. I hate their marriage, but I like, I, like Stanford is um, really shallow and they have not let him grow out of right. that. But I feel like that's very true to his character. And I actually really appreciated that whole thing that is going on where he feels like the girls are shutting him out. Yes. Yeah. Which is 
very, very accurate yes, to yes. female friendships and gay male friendships. Yes, yes. It's, and the show never truly unpacked that. that I thought that was great. Um, yeah. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, he's being a bitch about it and he's being insecure about it. And maybe this isn't something that Carrie should be hearing about right now. Like, don't be so selfish. But I actually did like that. I was like, I'm sorry, but every man, every gay male who's had a coterie of female friends has understood what it's like when they shut you out of that. Right. Um, Having said that, I think the show is doing a good job of being nuanced enough about it where I don't think Stanford has a right to expect to be one of the girls when when one of the girls is a widow and going through the... Like, you're going... That's a point as a gay man where you really should understand... There's only so much I can give here. She's going to be relying on other women more than me. Right. So I feel like it's good that the show is unpacking that, even if they're not doing it as deeply as I might like. Same thing with Anthony. Still shallow, still opinionated, but I really loved the sourdough comments about uh, Charlotte's Charlotte's child declaring themselves non-binary. I actually think all of that is being handled fairly well. Um, there's an issue about how the show is handling its more its diversity and its wokeness, but I will say that I have a friend, my oldest friend, who has a child who is not much older than Charlotte's child, who also has declared themselves non-binary. I know my niece, who is eight years old, has uh, classmates who have declared themselves gay or queer, or has I know um, I've heard you know pe- you know mentions of having crushes on other girls and stuff like that. And I just think Anthony is correct that we are living in a time where um, you just got to expect this from kids. You have to respect it, but you don't have to buy into it because they're living in a world where all of that is now an option for them. And they are the first generation that are living in that world. So they're going to cycle through those options. And some of them may be non-binary or trans. That that may actually... But some of them may actually just be trying on their options. No, I, and I, I, I thought he gave a great now, response in a very funny, obnoxious, funny, way, way, bitchy way. He gave great advice. I, right. I thought. Right. And he's just a fun character. I love. He hasn't changed. Love his character. Right. He's still very gay. Right. In, in the way we we know the character. Uh, loved everything about it. Um, I also love that Charlotte does not have an issue with. Right. She's trying to do the right thing. Right. For right. their child, but she she. Um, she isn't freaking out about it. Right. Uh, I do like that the show is, it's, you know, mentioning and bringing all these subjects and, and, and things, you know, uh, but it feels like a list of things that they have to go through and they're assigning them to certain characters. Uh, sometimes every now and then it doesn't feel like it's coming. I am not loving Miranda's lesbianism. Yeah, I mean, yeah, now Miranda is a bi-curious, bisexual I, I believe uh, in all of that. I, I, it's not that I don't think of a woman her age would have this reaction. I just... I'm sort of eye rolly about it because it feels like the only reason they're doing this is because Cynthia Nixon right, right. left her husband for a butch woman. Uh, I believe Cynthia's wife identifies as a woman. I'm not sure now, but um, it just it it mirrors Cynthia Nixon's own life right, so right. much that it just tends to reinforce this idea that queer people can only should only have queer relationships on screen. So, and she's also dealing with with um, alcohol uh, issues. Yeah, yeah. So it's like, all right. Very, it's very heavy handed. It is. I mean, it's like they're just assigning these issues that we want to, you know, make sure we address, uh, right. you know, on the show. But then we're just going to assign them to, okay, now you, you're, you're going to be the bi-curious right. one. And then it's just too I much. I just wish if they were going to go this route with uh, Miranda, um... And I did think about it. I was like, you know, of of the three of them left, 
Uh, if they wanted to do a queer discovery storyline, hers is the one that makes the most sense. Um, because, well, you weren't going to put... I mean, I I seriously do not want to see Carrie dating women. What a mess. I would feel sorry for any woman in New York who had that voiced on her. Um, And Charlotte's marriage, Steve and Miranda have always been a problematic couple, have always had an awkwardly negotiated relationship. So the idea that in their 50s, their marriage is non-existent actually tracks. The idea that Charlotte's marriage is great also actually tracks. I also... So it... If you're going to make one of them queer, it does make sense to make it Miranda, who always had the worst right. dating history. She's had the worst, rockiest marriage out of the three of them. Um, so I get it, but I just wish, and I have nothing against Sarah Ramirez, although we'll talk about her horrible comedy set at the end of the episode. But I just am like, so you just mimicked her. Per- like, couldn't she have fallen in love with another femme or something like that? Did it have to be another? And I, again, I really have to reiterate this. I'm not opposed to butch representation, non-binary representation, or queer relationships on camera. My only sort of com- complaint here is that it just too closely mimics Cynthia Nixon's life in every way that it feels like, I don't know, you you can't expect her to stretch herself as an actress. You, you right. just have to have her replicate um, her own life. I also don't like the way they, they're treating the husbands. They, they have no lines. They're, they're just nothing. They're, they're just, peeing and complaining they, about their loss of hearing. And yeah, I mean... A lot of that like, stuff is... Ext- like, I get, we got it. You're all in your 50s now. And I guess 50, you know, middle-aged men aren't fun anymore. Whatever. But the, they are driving that home a little too hard. The, yeah, but they basically have no lines and they're just in the background uh, complaining about something. I don't like that at all. Also didn't like the fact that they mentioned Samantha again. I mean, just yeah, drop leave it. it alone. Just drop it. I just hate drop it. Drop it. I hate it. I still, I'm enjoying the show, but I'm also, you know, I got parts about it that right, I right, don't love. Right. Um, I don't know. I don't have much more to say than that. I, I think we're probably going to check in every week on this podcast and do a little recap of that week's episode. We'll have to talk about the stand-up. <laughs> oh, the stand-up. Okay, so the like last 10 minutes is Sarah Ramirez doing our Netflix special, and they just let her do her set and it was as unfunny as anything i've ever seen it was just a polemic it was just someone saying how great it was to be queer and non-binary and accepted and i get all that agree with all that again it feels like something supposed to be a comedy set and nothing was funny um and it just felt like being i say this as a queer person it felt like being preached to it didn't feel funny. It did, and it felt tacked onto the episode. Like, oh, we have to give a, a queer woman of color a voice. So here, we'll shove it in here instead of integrating her into. The, I, I want Sarah Ramirez in the storylines. Right. I want um, the uh, other actresses of color. Alexa Ruta Chattery hasn't shown up yet. I want them all to have their own storylines. It's not that I'm complaining about that, but I, I, a ten minute comedy set is so not sex in the city that's just right, not something right. they're just watching there the whole thing and yeah. i'm like wow we're spending 15 minutes on this it wasn't yeah. really it was probably only about six or but seven whatever. minutes but it, it, just, it just didn't even feel like, like an episode yeah. of the show why not integrate them into that universe instead of tacking them on and it doesn't even feel they like would never have that much time spent on something like in the old oh, show no no, no. like yeah something a character is doing it, no it, never yeah never. they wouldn't like show someone singing an entire song no, up on no, stage no. it wasn't it's just, it yeah. felt like a Netflix special, and I'm just and a very reading. unfunny one. Yeah, it, that's the part that I don't like at all. I'm glad the show is addressing all these new things, um, but it's doing it in a clumsy. But and it's just Sarah in, Ramirez is it. one of the writers on the show. Oh, is she? Yeah, so I'm assuming she wrote that bit. Oh, 
they deliberately employed younger writers. It was a big deal made about it. Younger writers and women of color. Um, although Sarah Ramirez is, she's like 46, 47 years old. They probably could have gotten a little bit younger. Um, uh, that's the one thing I wanted to say. I forgot about Bridget Moynihan. I thought it was really interesting because when her character, when Natasha was first introduced, she was that young bitch. She was younger than Carrie and she was, and Carrie couldn't compete because she was so young. And without getting into it, I, I really loved that conversation because it was two women in their 50s and they were contemporaries and all right. of that got erased. Right. The idea that they were not in the same generation just sort of evens out at the right, end. Right, right. Um, and I, I did like that. I did like that no, I perspective handled- of looking back yes. on the literal sins of your youth from your middle age and you're like, shit, I got to renegotiate this again? Right. I did like that. I thought that was dead on. I was never like crazy about Natasha, uh, the character. She was fabulous. Are you kidding me? No, but I mean, like I, her, her, her story and, and, but now, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and she misspelled something, remember? I can't remember what she, mis- it was something in the wedding announcement, wasn't it? Yeah. The woman is a mourn. Didn't you say that? Something like that. <laughs> They were so Miranda. mean to her oh, back yeah. in the day. Anyway, uh, oh, she said uh, uh, something there. She, she misspelled oh, she there. Misspelled there on, I think it was the wedding announcement. Yeah. Anyway, sorry I couldn't be there. Yes, yeah. That's, that's, uh, oh, oh, yeah. Right, right, right. <laughs> right. Anyway, uh, that tells you how much we know about the show. Anyway, uh, I thought her character this time was very, very clever and intelligent and, and just mature you know i do find great. it odd that she's high ranking in the fashion well she has a good job in the fashion world uh, does carrie not write for any fashion pieces i, I guess not the anymore. show is very vague about what carrie's life is now it, i mean you're not making a living off that podcast well, i doubt it very money. much i mean her husband is, is i know but uh, i wonder does she not write at all uh i don't think so she yeah, you never I, see her write anymore because they had to bring podcasts into the conversation, we which is podcast, fine. But Instagram, podcast. I actually would have liked it more um, when I heard that they were making her a podcaster. I thought, okay, that's that's so right. But I thought she would have her own like right. brand, not a guest, with, not a with, guest on a show where she feels like an outsider. Yeah. Like Carrie Bradshaw would have, she'd be like a, not that she would be like a real housewife, but because she wouldn't, but she would have a whole lifestyle brand. Right, right. She'd right. have a line of yes. Cosmo glasses yes. and, yeah. and, 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 exactly. Instagram. She'd have her own podcast. That's the part I don't, und- I think they're trying to make it. And I do, I think the scene in the restaurant where they got a bad table and they were being slammed in the back, I was like, see this to me, maybe I'm reading too much into it, but I do feel like the show is negotiating in New York City where you're no longer the hot thing. You're no longer getting the best right, tables right, right, right. and that sort of thing. Um, so I think, I to be think honest, it start, it's trying to do that, but I think it fails sometimes. To me, to be honest, when it's about them, the characters, I think they do a phenomenal job. I agree. But when they're trying to bring in all, the, that world. all this new stuff uh, Which that, I want that has see. happened in the world right. and it's necessary to be represented, I just think they're not doing a good job to to matching them to combining them. Yeah, uh, I also, I get it, sending her back to the old apartment, that's how the episode yeah, ended. That was nice. I mean, it was inevitable that that was going right. to happen. However, I don't know, I, I, it's a way of um, taking away Carrie's enormous wealth. That way you don't have to look at the enormous penthouse that she actually lives in. Right. If you just put her in that apartment, that makes her more relatable as right. a character. And I felt like, not that I want to see her in a penthouse, but I wanted to see a Carrie that was different from that Carrie. Right, right. 
Um, if she's going to be in the apartment, I mean, yeah, because they talk about, she, she mentions like selling the apartment uh, in the previews or something like that. I just, the so, idea of her going from the closet in that penthouse to the closet in her apartment right. at this age in her, no. No, that, no. that wouldn't happen. To the bathroom she has in that penthouse to that little no, no, walk-up sorry. bathroom. No. Unless that apartment has been completely remodeled. No. I don't see why anyone would no, want to do I that. I would cry in a big bathroom. <laughs> I would, I always thought, because she had <laughs> the money. A small one. I always thought it would make a great writing retreat. Like, that's where right. she goes to do her writing. No. But well, I can't see a 55-year-old with her money, with her money and the lifestyle she's been living for the last 15 years, wanting to go back to that. No, I... Yeah, I want a morning luxury. Thing. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they haven't shown the apartment yet. Maybe it's this stunning... Maybe she broke yes. through next door yeah. like Aiden oh, wanted. No, I, I don't it. know. Maybe. No, they want to show it exactly frozen yes, in yes, time yes, like it's 1999. Yes, yes. Um, but anyway, I'm still enjoying the show. No, I would love to I, hear I what you guys it. are it. thinking of the show. Don't really want to hear from people who aren't watching the show. We've heard from enough of you. Like you mentioned the show on Twitter and you get 20 responses. I'm like, not watching. I hope the show gets canceled. All right. Well, okay. We're over here talking about it. Um, okay. Anyway. It's our last podcast of 2021. We will be back the first week of 2022. Until then, you guys do everything you can to have a safe and happy holiday. And we wish for the best for all of you in the new year. And we cannot thank you enough for your support this year. Listen, we never, ever take that. A weird year. And you guys were with us every step of the way. And we hope we were with you every step of the way. So We really appreciate all the support. Love you all. So take care of yourselves. And we'll talk in 2022. Bye-bye. Bye.